Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen to my podcasts. If you would be so kind, please send this to a like-minded individual, or if you'd also be so kind as to put this on your story, share this podcast with some people who might enjoy it, and uh, we can continue to grow this community. I hope you enjoy this episode. Blake Wharton checks in for, I believe, his fourth or fifth time on the podcast, and we also dial up Bruce Hackinson from Throttle Time Pieces to get his take on the Supercross races as well as uh, chat about some of the amazing product that those guys put out. So enjoy this podcast. Looking forward to hearing some feedback from you. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Guts Racing, as well as Throttle Time Pieces, Fox Racing Canada, as well as Phoenix Handlebars. Get your Phoenix Handlebars at phoenixhandlebars.com today. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, he's a repeat offender on the podcast, backed by popular demand, uh, mainly just because he's got all kinds of cool content on social media. If you're not already following him on Instagram, you need to because this guy's about to uh, crack off all kinds of cool content. Blake Wharton. Blake, how's it going? Yeah, well, how's it going? It's, it's going to be hard for me to follow up your intro. That was that was quite good. Well, we, we, tr- we strive for, uh, at the very least, for the intros to be uh, top-notch here on Big MX Radio. And uh, welcome back to the show. It's been over a year since we had you on last, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's uh, just been... Uh, you're going 100 miles an hour. I'm going 100 miles an hour. We've been ships passing in the night until, in, but that is no longer. Uh, we're finally on the phone together, oh, and uh, yeah, great to have you on again, my friend. You've been, like I said, you've been on before for race reviews and just like sort of uh, yeah. a, a look back on your your career and stuff like that. Uh, this is more of a sort of a catch up with, as well as a possible little hint as to some of the things that you've got in the works in the near future. Um, sure. But uh, let's start off with uh, how are things, my friend? What What's new and exciting in the world of Blake Wharton? Well, no, it's going good. Yeah, it's going good. It's been a while, um, obviously, like you said, and it's going to be going to be back and uh, of course, talk moto. I'm always down to do that. And, you know, Supercross has just started again, and the off season goes by as quickly as it as it comes, and so that's exciting. Of course, lots to watch on the weekends. But as far as myself goes, yeah, I did a little bit of time um, at uh, Al Am's uh, Dallas Honda, and uh, got got to see the other side of the uh, industry, and uh, been doing some training as well on the side, helping John Short out here and there, and. Uh, as far as my day job goes, though, I'm nine to five and in the in the family business. So I'm not in moto every day. However, I I do enjoy it and would love to to do some more stuff with it and and get some projects going. So I'm hoping 22 is a good year for us with um, the travel stuff with Racer X and some other projects coming. Um, as as we talked about earlier, yeah, the big wheel, the fat cat is back. Um, so that was fun. Uh, the BBC guys over here in Tucson, Arizona. I've got to link up with them, and they've been they've been cool. So we'll be back to ride that thing again, and I'll have a full uh, review coming soon. But I'm sure you grew up with the Fat Cats and the uh, what is it BW200 uh, Yamaha from back in the day, something like that. Of course, those were uh, way too fun. Everybody who had a cabin out around here had something along those lines. Uh, the big wheel uh, footprint and, and all that—they're uh, they're wild to watch. Uh, and, and yeah, like the um, what's that thing like to to spin some laps on, man? It, it, like, like is it is it as nim is it more nimble than it looks, or is it more clumsy than it looks? You you make well, it look pretty easy. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, but it's it's uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of years of of no knowing how to move bikes around and getting them to do what you want. But you know, we kind of just um, we were kind of just testing it out, to be honest. So it's not like we had the perfect suspension setup. It's not like we have like you know all these tire options, which is a big deal, right? Um, the guys over there, they did get some custom tires, which is cool. Um, but we were just checking it out to see because it's really never been on, to my knowledge, on a track quite like that or at those types of speeds. Um, but it handled well. It was surprisingly good in the air. And um, it definitely takes some know-how and some technique to make it corner the way you want because the lean angle and a giant tire, I mean, let's, let, let's face it, that changes the ergonomics quite a bit. Um, so it does require a little bit more technique. Uh, but as far as you know, riding it, it's a blast to ride. Of course, that's what those things were made for originally, dunes, rock crawling, uh, probably be good in snow. You could do a little bit of street stuff. So that's what their original uh, purpose was. And uh, they didn't last long, Yamaha and Honda. They're a cool bike. I grew up with the Yamaha. That was one of the first bikes that I rode on, not personally driving it. My dad had one. Um, and they're a blast. So I uh, hope to do some more stuff with BBC. And they're always building some new stuff. So if you haven't seen, check check them out. And uh, we're going to go back and do a little more in-depth um, at the end of the month. So I'll have a little bit more answers and more discovery on that, um, I'm hoping soon. Fair enough. And how is John Short? A fan favorite, uh, a superstar as far as privateers go, and something you've been working with closely for a number of years now. Um, do do current pros still work on things? Like, what what is it that you would uh, like sort of nail down uh, John to work on? Like, is it just sprint speed? Yeah. Is it just? Oh, no, no, it's 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 both. Okay. Um, it kind of depends on the person, right? So a lot of uh, myself and some of us in that era, and, and even some now, you know, they have cataloged, you know, 10,000 hours, and they've done a lot of the base work and the foundation stuff, and they've gotten trainers. And if you've been if you've been privileged to have that many bikes and that much time with those guys, those guys, you work supercross stuff. You work stuff that's more on the pro level and adapting to supercross. But with John, he had a pretty normal uh, amateur racing career in the sense that he didn't get to travel a lot of areas. He didn't have he didn't have ten bikes in his garage. He didn't get to ride all the time. You know, so with John over the years, we've worked some of the some of the very basic stuff, some of the basic stuff with a with a twist, uh, because you're really not too good for it. Um, it's just certain guys need it more who've logged less time. Um, but there, you know, he, he did well with it. He's done well with some of the stuff, some of the corner drills that I grew up doing and all of that. But yeah, it, ultimately the most important I would say is the supercross stuff for a guy like him. Cause he's not brand new at supercross. He's not brand new at writing. Um, but it doesn't hurt to go over some of those basic things that the tricks of the trade and things like that. Uh, but for him right now, it's it's a little bit of that technique stuff, a little bit of the drilling when we do get to work together, and but it's a lot of the sprinting and doing the the supercross work with it, which is timing, sprinting, and you know, 15 minutes, 15 laps, stuff like that. So it's a bit of a mix for a guy like that. Um, and I'm doing full time work down here, so it's it's a little bit harder. I, I was full time with him last year. And uh, so this year I'm just helping him out where I can. Of course, I'd love to go to some supercross races and, you know, Dallas and stuff like that. Um, but I'm hoping he can do well. He's going to be on a good bike and um, he'll be on the East Coast. So I'm hoping for the best for him. And, and um, he's definitely come a long way. So that's that's good.
So you've raced East Coast and West Coast Supercross. Is there a stark difference? Like, like they always talk about, like, yeah. oh, it's like it's ruddy and this, that, and everything on the East Coast, West Coast. Like, aside from the the tracks, maybe being a little bit more hard pack. Like, is there like, do you think that there's like a a serious difference between West Coast East Coast? Yeah, there is, and and it's more, it's even more than that because like a lot of the West Coast races are open stadiums. So okay. if you're going to race yeah. west, you know how to ride in the mud. And so, like, on the west, what you see, what you don't have in the east is, like, oh, uh, it just rained three inches. We're going to cut practice. you got five minutes to roll around this track. It's totally muddy. And then we're going straight into racing. Well, that can be a lot to acclimate for some guys. If they're slower to adapt to the tracks, they're not as good on the mud. If their bodies take longer to warm up. And on the east coast, you won't have that because it's all enclosed stadiums because it's too cold. But what you will have on the east coast, you won't have on the west, is a track that's frozen, and they bring the dirt in, and it starts to thaw overnight. In which what you guys have up there in the north, you Canadian yes, folks we get that. Uh, you, yeah, you get that. You know what it is, and that Very can be proud totally of our melting dirt. We're we're we're, we're, we're so proud. We're so proud. Um, melting dirt is is tough, especially with Supercross suspension. You know, you ride these test tracks in California that are totally totally baked all year round, and you're lucky if you have a rut that's three centimeters deep. And then you take that same bike and you go to the Canadian Supercross and, and the ruts are, you know, they're forming each lap. It's a different deal. So, no, there can be a pretty stark difference between East and West. Eventually, by the time you get to the 450 class, you're kind of acclimated. But even then, you still don't see guys totally adjust. I mean, you do have guys, even in the 450 class, even on their championship level, that just do better here or there. And then also you have the you know, the good mojo that you've done well in a stadium before, and maybe you don't even like the dirt, but you've done well there before. So you kind of have that too. Uh, you have where you grew up and where you're from and, Oh, you went to these East coast races. You went here or there. You grew up going to Anaheim, all the Anaheims back in the day, whatever it is, you can kind of, you can kind of have those, those things. And you have crest day with where you're from and that gets you on the track sooner. So there, there are big differences. Um, I always liked the East Coast. Um, Dallas and Houston usually were East Coast, and I liked the tracks. The I liked the the practices, getting all your practices in. I did like the ruddy stuff, and that was for me. But I I did quite well in the West, is you know too. It's just kind of a different flavor. Nothing that I haven't seen personally. Um, but I got to travel a lot when I was younger. You know, some of these guys probably didn't get to see these different states and these different weathers and these, you know, all of that. So it, it, it kind of can, it kind of can, there's a lot of different variables, you know, that you can take into it. Um, but ultimately if I had to say everyone usually is a, an expert or a, has a preference, even the best guys, even the guys who are winning the championship, they'll do well everywhere, but they do a little better here or there for whatever reason. Fair enough. You said you uh, preferred the East Coast. Um, like West Coast Supercross right now, it's it's Christian Craig, and then it's everybody else. Um, were you ever uh, teammates with Christian on any team? But you guys are about the same age, almost maybe a couple of years younger uh, than you. Or... Yeah, he's a little younger than me. Um, I never really. I raced Christian on in the amateurs. We were close enough in age that we were in the same age group. We raced 14, 15, 12, 13, 12, 13 together, stuff like that. But in the pros, when he turned pro a little after me, he was on truly designed Honda, and they were only West Coast at that time. Well, I was racing predominantly East Coast. I did race West in 10 and then again later. 
So I didn't really race him a whole lot. And then, of course, as you know, he was injured a fair amount. But I raced him a lot of the amateurs, and so I kind of grew up with, with them and seeing, seeing them on occasion. And they were California guys, and we, of course, knew Mike Craig. And, uh, but, yeah, that's a guy you could say who's a, a West Coast guy. I mean, he raced West Coast is pretty much forever. And uh, he's going to still be super strong on the, on the East Coast stuff. But that's his sweet spot, you could say, his home race. And, uh, and it shows. You know, he's got the experience, he's got the bike, and he's got the the tracks down, and, like, you know, he's going to be hard to beat for a while. So, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I want to talk to you about another athlete who uh, um, you're a bit of a style master as far as uh, walking into the, into the track with some cool-looking threads. Uh, same thing mm-hmm. for Colt Nichols. You also, uh, mm-hmm. the both of you have also dealt with your fair bit of injuries throughout their career. Um, seems like every time that uh, that Colt makes it to the tip of the spear or kind of takes it up a notch, he suffers yeah. a, a, a big injury. Um, not totally unlike your career, you had a lot of injuries throughout it, like derailed often um like if you could maybe like crawl inside the mind of a guy like colt nichols who rolled in like uh yeah 14 days ago was rolling into a season where he's probably at his absolute physical best uh coming sure. off of championship like a championship uh, looking to like possibly yeah. be one of the very few guys that have won championships on both coasts uh and now sits at home with two broken arms yeah you kind of forgot for a minute like because he did so well last year we kind of all expected him to to go in and kind of do the same thing usually in theory winning the second time should be a little easier than the first um and seeing as how his main competitor was probably going to be christian they would have gone at it uh but this did happen a fair bit with him before um like we kind of you know talked about and like you know when he went pro you kind of saw it a fair bit but he was all he was fast right away and but he got kind of got hurt here and there it remind, reminds me a little bit of will um and then it clicked that year for will and everything you know everything went wrong for a lot of the times for will but then everything went right the one year except for the last race he did have a big crash again but he won the championship and that's kind of what reminded me of 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 colt so far he's he had that great year last year and it well it didn't it didn't happen this time but that's not to say it can't happen again there's some things you probably have to work on you know of course trying to stay off the ground and certain guys seem to get injured a little more than others and with, with breaking bones versus ligaments and stuff like that. So that's another thing to look at. Uh, but Colt, he grew up not too far from me and him and Bogle were um, kind of Texas guys because they were out of Oklahoma. And so a lot of the racing that we did was in Texas slash Oklahoma. And so like the pro circuit series, I would see those guys and they were always, you know, a bit younger than me. Um, but they were in 65s at that time. And so, I kind of watched them growing up, didn't really race them much, not until a little later, never really raced Colt much at all, but was uh, teammates with Bogle for a year. And so raced him a little, but uh, yeah, he's in a tough spot. You know, he's expected to win. Speaking of Colt, and he's uh it's a tough, it's a tough gig. And maybe, you know, the bright spot is maybe, well, he gets another year in the, in the lights class. You know, we all know moving up to the 450, you can't just win a championship anymore. It's about timing. I mean, you can be the baddest guy in the lights class, and win two championships, but if you've got nowhere to go when when you're being booted up, that's a tough spot. So maybe ultimately it could be better for him, but we'll see. You know, he'll have another year for Supercross if I didn't guess, and still have a chance to you know kind of redeem himself. 
Certainly. I, I think that Star Racing Yamaha will likely petition the AMA to let Justin Cooper stay down because of his injury. He's likely going to miss all of Supercross. Uh, and yeah, those guys won't point out, will they? Because yeah. what they're going to... They're past they would... the number of years. Like they can, After your third year, if you win the title, you're out. Uh, right, after... but you have one chance to reclaim the title, correct? You, right, if you, you get one it, chance to defend. Chance. And obviously, okay. they, this is both their one chance to defend. Technically, so both guys should be go. out. Yeah, that's a rough go. That 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 adds insult to injury. If in fact they're going to be booted, of course we've seen the ch- the rules change a little, you know, over hmm. the years with the rule with the three year pointing and out and all that. So I didn't I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a tough pill to swallow if if that's in fact the case. Uh, whereas a guy like Craig, you know, he's wanting to move up. He's been in that class a little longer. He's ready. You know, to me, at this point, in the way the sport is, stay in the lights class until you get pointed out. Because, you know, just because you're ready for the 450 doesn't mean there's going to be a spot. So, you know, if there's more spots available or if more 450 factory teams were having four guys instead of two or three or one, you know, it's it would be it'd make a little more sense. But it's a tough class. It's always been a tough class. It's especially tough now with the way that the championship is in the lights class. Uh, I kind of liked it when you could have guys that were like 30 in the lights class, but more regularly, uh, when you have lights class specialists, some guys like Tedesco and Brown and Hughes and Langston, and they just rode the lights class so well. And the way the rules are were then, I don't know how it really was different on paper, but I just remember seeing those men riding lights bikes and it just kind of created a different era of, of riding. And you could be a specialist in lights class and you could, yeah, because some guys, let's face it, they prefer that, you know, and it'd be kind of nice to see them have that chance to do that. Um, so kind of miss that where now you win, you're, you're, you're bumped up, boom, you're, you're getting drafted straight into the 450 class, whether you're ready or not. And so it makes for a stacked 450 class. We've had, you know, championship level guys, factory level guys, guys who have won all the way to 15th place, 16th place for the last a long time ever since they changed this rule. So it definitely makes for some exciting racing in the 450 class. And the light class is always exciting because of the light class, but you have a little bit more room to breathe, breathe there. So that's what I've noticed. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, was there ever a time when, uh, when you were uh, being courted by, uh, by a, a, whether it be a full factory team or even a, a, a support level 450 team? Like you spend, sure, like, sure. did, no, you, I, did you ever race a 450 I, in Supercross? No, I would have liked to. I raced it at the X Games one year, and I was ill-prepared, and it was a tough, super, super tough track, and I crashed into Max. Me and Max went down pretty hard. Um, that was a cool race, but a very tough, tough track and, and conditions, and that was on an early Honda 450. That, that chassis was a bit tough, but about the closest I got, I would have loved to race the 450 uh, you know, with a little more time in Supercross or Motocross for sure. The closest I got was with Kehoe, and it was 2011 when they needed a fill-in guy, um, and I was going to race uh, the 450 outdoors for Factory Honda. But I ended up having a bit of a, a issue myself. And then that's when I needed to get my shoulders fixed. Okay. And those were two labrums, two labrums, and that was years prior and, and current. It just needed to be done. You know, I, I would have liked to have raced maybe one or two 450 rounds just to see how it went. Maybe if it went well, just go, you know, just stick it out. Uh, but Supercross was tough on the shoulders, and at that point, they were pretty ground down, and so it just made it tough. So I would have had to have given up my next year in the lights class, kind of, 
um, healing time and preparation, or I gave up that 450 opportunity. So it's a catch 22. I ended up getting those shoulders worked on and I did quite well the next year in the lights class. So it kind of reinvented myself for a while. So it was good. You know, it's, 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 it's easy to, to kind of look back and, and say, you know, which would it would have been, but Kehoe would have been awesome to ride for. Of course it was factory Honda. So that was pretty, uh, pretty epic, but you know, it is what it is. So that was my, uh, yeah, that was my story. Interesting. What about uh, fill-in rides that uh, you turned down? Is there any fill-in rides that you were like you were offered, and they're like, "Hey, I'm not even ready. Like, I would love to." No, I, I turned down. I, I turned down a ride with Star Yamaha when I came back with IB Corp. And what happened was, I want to say, Ferrandis had just gotten hurt, and I was in California, and so people had seen me riding and stuff. And so Will Hahn got a hold of me. This is when he was involved there. Mm-hmm. And that would have been awesome, you know, but I had already signed a contract and it had made sense to be on the West Coast at that time. And that would have been for the East. And they wanted me a little sooner and I wasn't ready. Of course, that was the best bike, has been the best bike for a long time. Fortunately, I was on a good bike with the IB Corp guys, Ellis there and Twisted. And and the fact it was a Yamaha, I felt good about that. But yeah, it would have been awesome to ride for the store guys. It was, uh, you know, it just was not, not the right timing. And, uh, and then I talked to, you know, Steve Lamson when he was there in 14, um, as a guy, you know, coming in to, before I got the fill-in ride for Bogle on Geico, I talked with those guys and that again would have been a great gig because I think it was the best bike. Um, the deal just wasn't right for us at that time. And, um, it was, a it just, it just didn't work out, but Steve is awesome he's a great guy and um i worked with him in the amateurs when he was training and he was a team manager for for a time there with star so yeah definitely some stuff there i got offered a ride with mitch you know i talked to mitch a couple times and you know it's it's uh it's easy to look back and say maybe this maybe that but uh you know it is what it is i would have liked to ride that rode that star bike because i think it was the best bike for a long time probably longer than folks even know um, they, 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 everyone thinks the bike's the best once it starts winning. That's not, that's usually not the case. It's, it's the best before then. You just don't know it. And, um, I rode the star bike in 2010 just to test it. And I rode the KTM and some different stuff. Cause I was, my contract was any, and that bike was a rocket ship. Of course it was carbureted back then. That was the last Mohican in terms of carburation, which if everybody, if anyone has ridden a carbureted bike, you know that they hit harder. And in the lights class, that's huge especially for a 250F, you know, and it's all about the hit. For me, anyways, it's all about the bottom mm-hmm. torque. Of course, you had to deal with that nasty bog in Supercross, but that, you know, that one was kind of on the way out a little at that point. But, yeah, definitely would have loved to have swung my leg over a, a star bike um, closer to my prime. Would have definitely liked that. And then, of course, the 450, yeah, that would have been a, that would have been a, a cool opportunity. But it is what it is is what it is my friend um you told me a, an interesting story about a, a sponsor going above and beyond for a pair of cheek pads uh for a particular supercross i uh, care to share yeah. that with uh with with the, yeah, the friends yeah. and family yeah no no it was it was fox back in i want to say it was west coast so it was 2010 and uh i want to say san francisco something of the sort and it was like a dinner even we went to a, a fox dinner and this is when pete was involved and anyways i i had a, a bit of a trouble with the helmet at that time it just didn't 
I was kind of in between sizes and it didn't fit super well. But uh, Fox wanted to make sure it was right, so they got some custom chic pads made. And and because of the time, and the, it was you know a bit far, like you know Fox is in SoCal and this is a ways away. They actually flew in some cheek pads for me, and I don't know if these cheek pads had their own seat on the plane with a special a special message, you know, to get delivered once they got off, or they had a literal courier, you know, fly the pads in, drop them off to I guess it would have been Beaker at that time, Chris Onstar, and there there we go. So these these cheek pads have never had a more expensive. Um, you know, uh, shipping, I guess you could say, has never been more expensive. The pads themselves had their own seat, or I think they had their own seat and they probably were first first class. I mean, you might have seen them really on, I mean, it's kind so. of, yeah, you walk on the, the plane, you're you're in the back, you know, we're, we're over here scrounging in the back, we're flying with the luggage, and you, you see some fox cheek pads as you pass in first class with some peanuts and Chardonnay. I mean, it would just look strange. Um, and a guy with, a, with maybe a Fox jersey, and he's just, you know, escorting, if you will. So that was uh, pretty cool, above and beyond, and, you know, had some cool sponsors over the years. But that was one story that kind of stuck out um, as interesting. Certainly. So um, last thing I have for you is uh, y- y- we've we've talked about the Fat Cat, uh, and that's a little bit of a teaser for uh, for some stuff that you have down the down the way. I know you don't want to completely give it away, but uh, like, where can people follow along on social media so that they can be completely in tune with everything you got coming down the way? Sure, sure. Well, just keep in touch with me from now on social media if you're curious. Just hit me up, and and you'll see kind of the stuff that we're doing, and we'll be releasing some more stuff soon on YouTube and. I hope to get more of that going in 22. I think it's a good year for it. And I'd love to stay involved with the sport, of course. And, and this is a good way to do it for now. And um, yeah, I'd love to do some more stuff with Racer X. And uh, I've got some, some stuff in the works right now and being able to catch up with some good friends of mine over the years. And the guys that are doing some, putting out some good content right now, um, you know, Simon Cudby's out there doing some cool stuff. And of course we, we, I worked with Simon over the years and he does some great work. So I've been in contact with him and I just enjoy that, that side of it. You know, the, the motorcycle industry is growing now and I got to see a little bit of that firsthand when I was working at the dealership and it's, it's a good time for it. You know, it's a good time for moto content. It's a good time to explore that, that narrative because, you know, it is bigger than just racing. Of course we love racing. Anyone who listens to this show is a racer and Mathis and all that. We're all, we're all racers ultimately through and through but i think motorcycles as a whole are much bigger than that and uh, as cars become a little safer on the road and people want to start getting out and dispersing a little more i think the motorcycle will be a natural thing to reach to so yeah look forward to it more stories more travel uh more youtube projects we'll be back with the bbc guys soon check them out for sure they got some cool stuff on youtube so that's all i can say for now but i will definitely touch again soon and touch back on it and i have i hope you have some stuff on in, in about a month Awesome, man. Well, certainly looking forward to catching up with you in about a one month's time. Um, yeah, you, you get on with the rest of your evening. I understand you're going to be picking up some uh, some dinner for you and your lovely girlfriend, who, who is actually the highlight of your social media at this point. Um, so I appreciate the time. Actually, thank you. Good talking, Brad. We'll talk soon. Awesome, man. Do not hang up just yet. For podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. And there you have it. Blake Wharton, off he goes. Probably, I think he's getting some Chipotle um, from uh, just not far from his house there. He was kind enough to give us some time. 
great guy, great conversation, always uh, good to have his opinion on things. Uh, he's just got such a, a mind for the sport. Honestly, I'd, I'd, I'd love to just go off for a road trip with that guy because it would be pretty much endless stories um, given the, the teams that he's ridden for. Rockstar Suzuki, Geico Honda, you name it. I think uh, if you listen closely there, there's also an opportunity he might have been able to uh, to race for Star Racing at one point. But just timing wasn't right, I suppose. But either way, now we're going to throw it to Bruce Hackinson here on the Big MX Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening. And as promised on the Big MX Radio Podcast, my interview here with Bruce Hackinson from Throttle Timepieces. You've heard me talk about them before. If you want to be on time and looking good at the very same time, you need a Throttle Timepieces watch. Go to the website, throttletimepieces.com, pick something out, set yourself out of the herd, and uh, look stylish at the exact same time. Bruce, welcome back to the podcast, your third time on the show. What's happening, Brad? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for making the time for us. You are our East Coast correspondent. Uh, if all things go well and I'm able to uh, to go to the uh, the New York, is it East Rutherford uh, Super, Supercross or is it uh, uh, Foxborough Supercross this year? Uh, I, I trust that I will be sleeping on your couch that weekend. How are things? I have a couch and two extra bedrooms and my child, my new baby won't be here yet, so yeah. Perfect. Well, congratulations on the little one coming down the way. Uh, I'm 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 ex- I'm excited and uh, enthralled to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, but you are the bit the big boss of the hot sauce over at Throttle Time Pieces. Uh, like I said in the intro, if you haven't gone over to the website, please do so. Fantastic watches. Uh, and if you want to direct message me, you could probably hook you up with some sort of a discount code. Bruce can uh, can set that up. No problem uh i imagine you're probably in a similar situation as i am my friend maybe not experiencing as much winter as i am given the fact that we got six inches of snow today but winter nonetheless winter nonetheless yes uh i shoveled twice yesterday once slushy in the morning and then a little bit of like powder at nighttime so yeah man we are in the official dead of winter and it was like i think last week we had we hit uh two degrees you know, so not as bad as you, but <laughs> yeah, we're in the dead of winter here for sure. No kidding. Yeah, uh, a stark contrast from the minus thirty weather that uh, I'm we're we're uh, experiencing up here right now. Uh, but you know what? Like we talked about off air. Uh, yeah, not all th- like th- like things come and go. This too shall pass, and uh, I'll be mm-hmm. dusting off my KTM two fifty two stroke to go do some riding in the near future. Um, I have you on the podcast, my friend, because you're obviously a huge fan of the sport. You're a knowledgeable guy, and, and often you and I end up having some great conversations about Supercross and some predictions going forward. I ask you this. We've had two ch- two winners so far, the like almost completely different types of nights. We had uh, El Ombre, Jason Anderson, first night. He's moving it. He moves himself into the second place spot. Gets sent into the cheap seats by Justin Barsha. The very next weekend, collects mm-hmm. his first win in over 1,400 days. Inversely, you've got Ken Roxon, who on the first night made things about as boring as possible by leading every single lap of the main event, uh, having himself a dreadful day in Oakland. I ask you this: Who's going to win next, man? Because this is a crazy season. So it is, and I was actually talking about this with a friend today, and basically anyone from first 
to 18th, I think can win a main event. And like the last four guys, I'm not, they are super talented still, but I go back to when I got into moto in the nineties and it was like first through sixth or seventh could win a main event. So it's pretty wild. It's very hard to predict. Um, if I was going to say for next week, I would love, just because I like him because he's wild, even though he claims he's from Florida. I know he's from New York. Uh, Justin Barsha. Like, he is, he looks spectacular um, on that gas gas. He has. He's been he consistent. I think he he's the only great. guy that's been on the podium both times. That's right. Yep, third. I mean, we're two rounds in, and he's done it both times. So that's pretty. That's that's pretty darn good in my book. Um, he looks great on that bike. He's got that. It's he's got more of that Bam Bam style on that gas gas, like he did on that Honda, compared to when he was on the Yamaha Suzuki. I think he. I think he looks good. He looks comfortable. He's fast. He's aggressive. Um, I I, I want to see him. Uh, win a race i'd love to see him win a championship you know before uh you know he's getting a little older now too but mm-hmm. the guys seem to be stretching a little bit more into their 30s seems like back in the uh in the 2000s it was like 27 you retire now a lot of these guys are uh you know stretching it into their into their early to mid 30s so i i, I want to see barsha win uh win this coming weekend absolutely uh given that though i will throw this crazy stat at you from his first ever pro win to his last ever pro win, 16 mm-hmm. years for Mike LaRocco. First pro win, 1988. Last pro win, 2004. Was it 2004 for LaRocco? Indy. Indy 04. Yes. Okay. Crazy, I remember crazy. seeing him not, not win for a while, and I think in, yeah. it was 02 he came out one one, and I'm like, man, he's like 32 and he won. True. Know? Crazy to think and, that he won a Supercross 10 years after winning the outdoor title on a 252 stroke. Yeah, yeah, wow. it's crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, uh, I'm going with Barsha. You're going man. with Barsha. Going okay. With Barsha. I think it's Tomac, yeah, personally. I think you? that for some reason he's just going to get a start. I have no basis for as to why I think he's going to get a start because both starts have been absolutely dreadful. He hasn't even had a start in a heat race yet. Uh, but I think that some like, they make some sort of change uh, and, and get him some decent starts uh, this weekend. San Diego, he's gone well there in the past. So I'm, I'm thinking Tomac, but I could be dead wrong. Um, next next thing that I wanted to ask you about because you're pretty you're, you're in the no kind of guy is, is Christian Craig he's just been so damn dominant over this 250 class um, do you see anyone really challenging this guy like who and, and if there is somebody who is it um I, I definitely see a challenge I don't know how big of a challenge I mean he's he's been at it for a while obviously. Uh, he was doing really good last year. I thought he was going to win the championship till he broke his leg there. Uh, uh, I believe it was the last race. And I was like, man, because he's like a good kid. Like, I think he's good. He's a good family dude. Like, you know, he's had some rough times in his life. And, uh, you know, for him to come back, uh, he's another one that I'd love to see ride. And uh, watching him the last two races, his speed and the whoops is like so much better than anyone else. So I don't know if anyone else can handle him there. Um, I'd like to say Joe Shimoda, but I think Joe just Christian has ten basically ten more years of racing experience Supercross than Joe. And then Colt Nichols, man, like I saw him crash. I'm like, okay, he just went down on the whoops. I didn't see him get up. I'm like, man, he he. I think he would have been the dude to really, really give it to Christian. 
But uh, most men might pick it up a couple quick two and give him a run for his money. But, but with the last two races, man, he looks Christian looks really he looks really good and he deserves it too. Absolutely, he does. No, I, I, uh, no, no, nothing but respect for the guy. He's getting a lot of flack online, which I don't fully understand. It kind of bums me out to see. Um, like, there's a lot of guys that have won championships in and around that age. Uh, Lord knows that uh, I believe it was uh, um, Mike Brown, and Mike Brown's such a fan favorite. Won his championship, maybe not at 30 years old, but damn close uh, when mm-hmm. he won in 2001. Uh, and the outdoor title, um, and, and people cheered him vehemently to race the the 250 yeah. class all the way up until his his uh, eventual retirement in 2006 or 2007. So um, mm-hmm. having an older guy in the class and winning it is not even new. In fact, it's not even new for Yamaha, given the fact that 1998, uh, I think it was the West Coast champion was uh john dowd uh yeah yeah. uh and uh, dowdy dowdy won that and he he dropped down because he actually moved up before uh he his eligibility had lapsed so he was able to go back to the 125 class kind of whenever he wanted uh and he collected a title that way um honestly like the two classes like it's the 250 class, for all intents and purposes, is not really that much of an introductory class, aside from the fact that that is the the typically the 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 first bike that kids go on to when they come on come through the ranks. Like that is the, sort of like the stepping stone as far as like, engine displacement and, and uh, the 450 is certainly uh, a, a bigger bike to hand. Like you know, it's not physically a bigger bike, but it's it's more of a handful than the 250F. Um, but I, I personally have no problem with uh, with older guys staying in the class if they haven't been pointed out. Race. Like, this is professional racing. We pay to see a show, uh, and we're seeing exactly that. Especially when you've got uh, um, Mosman making things interesting, just uh, like basically making his life hard for himself both rounds so far and uh smoking joe shimoda just uh doing the the full like somersault in the whoops and the first thing that i noticed he got lucky dude he got so lucky and did you see how yeah. fast he was back on his motorcycle like 99 percent of people like that's essentially like being in a car wreck you would like yeah. you'd be in some sort of shock and not be able to to move at the best of your ability right away Joe Shimoda was getting up before he was done crashing. Yeah, it was, that was actually really funny. Yeah, he he did the full, you know, basically like a like a front flip, and then yeah, he was like back on and going. Like, and I'm like, how did he? Does he know where he is right now? You know, that was a heck of a that was a heck of a tumble. You know. Yeah. Um, seriously. But yeah, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think you get a point. Like, I have no problem being, uh, you know, a 30 year old in a in a, in the 250 class. You know, he's not pointed out. He's riding well. Um, this is the this is professional racing. You know what I mean? Yes, he's got more experience, but so do these kids coming up, man. These kids coming through are fast nowadays. They are they are so 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 quick. You know, and it's scientifically proven the older you get, you, you know, you're not, you can't handle the, you know, the physical demands that the sport puts on you. So the younger guys, you know, in theory, 20 year old versus 30, you know, he's going to have a little bit more pep at the end of it. And, and, uh, and Christian is just, he's riding super well and he's going really fast, you know? So, you know, the internet's the internet, you know, people are always going to talk on the internet because they can hide behind their, uh, their computer screens. But 
I think you know Christian's great, man, uh, and uh, I'm looking for the uh, the best one this year. For certain, I think this is his year to uh, to nab a championship, and it's uh, it's certainly looking like uh, he, he's got, he's the odds-on favorite for that. Um, moving into San Diego, uh, a, a race that uh, people usually earmark as, as a great one. It, it's uh, I, I love that stadium. I love the vibe down there. I love going to that race and doing the whole gas lamp district thing, where it's it's really sort of you get the craft coffee and the craft beer, uh, and and also like the um, the contrast of the the stark homelessness that surrounds the stadium. It's fantastic. Uh, I kidding, of course. Uh, I also one time got to watch <laughs> practice from. Uh, uh, from the owner's box, from the, the San Diego Padres owner's box. I don't know how I ended up in there. I took an elevator that I probably wasn't supposed to take, and that elevator probably wasn't supposed to let me into that suite. But regardless, um, myself as well as the JGR guys uh, were able to watch from there, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, predictions for this weekend. You already said Barsha, but what about the 250 class? The 250 class, uh, it's hard to bet against Christian Craig right now. It's it, it, very, very tough. Um, I gotta say, Christian again, man. I, I, all right, I, all right. He just, he looks, he looks that good. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, I ask you this though. Like, okay, there's a lot of guys that have great style. I think of guys like Chris, Christian Craig has good style, uh, like off the bike. I mean, just walking around the pits. Uh, guys like Justin Bogle, guys like Colt Nichols. Colt Nichols, like if if he stopped racing today, uh, would have a uh, would have a career in male modeling. I was, I'm not uh, <laughs> like uh, having a hard on for the guy, but Jesus, like he's just a good looking dude. He's a uh, handsome dude. He's a handsome fella. Um, complete man rocket. But uh, like, who who would if you could pick anybody in the pits to rock your product on their wrist, rolling into the track? Uh, like you got uh, Swanberg and all those guys. Uh, the the flash bulbs are going off. Who's who's that athlete for you? That's a that's a, that's a really that's a really tough question. Um, obviously, you know, I'd like to be the uh, the timepiece of choice for all the moto guys, but you know, everyone has their different styles and stuff like that. But, uh, having being that said, yeah, you know, they kind of have that vibe around them right now is Justin Bogle and Colt Nichols, you know, they're have that whole like walk-in type deal and stuff like that. I think it would be cool to have those two on it. And then, like I said, I'm a Barsha fan, you know what I mean? I think Barsha's got, got a little bit of style to throw one on him. And then, and then you kind of got that other side, like Stank Dog. That dude made some uh, history this weekend. Dude, throwing on Stank Dog too. Uh, I thought that was awesome that he was able to put that 125 in the main. So like, kind of being all over the board. But like, I feel like all those dudes have like a certain thing to them. You know what I mean? They just have this certain aura to them. They have a personality in the sport, which is something that we have been missing for for many years, you know, so those are my dudes right there. Those four guys. Fair enough. Well, I'm sure all four of them would, uh, would be proud to rock it. If you haven't already gone over to throttletimepieces.com, go check those, those out. Um, tons of different colors, combinations, uh, and, and Bruce himself is going to take care of you and make sure that, uh, all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. Um, well, this has been a, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Um, any last words or uh, a message to our listeners about uh, these fantastic watches, which I am wearing right now? 
Ah, which one you got on? Um, I've got uh, I got the black on black. It's my personal favorite. Yeah. Uh, this is my daily driver. Uh, it goes with me to work every single day, even when I'm working from home. Uh, black on black. That's probably my best seller, man. That's the one. That's the one. It's got a little bit of class to it, but it's got a little bit of that evil Johnny Cash underneath on mm-hmm. it too, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, throttle timepieces, they're there. They're good. We got two-year warranty on them, and um, they are the uh, the watch of choice uh, for everyone looking to elevate their style. You betcha, man. Well, appreciate the time, my friend. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're gonna cut it off right there. And there you have it. My podcast with not only Blake Warden, but also Bruce Hackinson from Throttle Timepieces. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, I would love if you put a post on Instagram stories. I'll share it on my my story as well. Uh, Or at least send this to a like-minded individual. Someone who loves motocross and might be interested in this podcast. That would be greatly appreciated. Have yourself a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next week.